From KLBP-FM Long Beach Public Radio, this is Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll. This time on Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll, I sit down with notable music journalist Richie Unterberger to talk about the re-release of his illustrated biography of the one and only Bob Marley. That's this time on Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll. Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll is the book and film club that rocks, literally. From band bios to artist memoirs and the occasional rock doc, too. We are the only show of its kind. I'm Chris Kosach, and each week I'll bring you the stories and history of music with those who were there. We call our episodes tracks, and no two are the same. Some are from the road, some will originate at music festivals, and others are just good old-fashioned one-on-one conversation. All are intimate and honest. There's a line in a Red Hot Chili Peppers song that calls Bob Marley a poet and a prophet, and that pretty much sums it up. Born in Jamaica in 1945, Bob Marley, along with the Wailers, including Peter Tosh and Bunny Livingston, may not have invented the genre we know as reggae, but it just wouldn't be the same without them today. A new book, or rather a re-release of a biography now with beautiful color photos, many of which have not been previously published, illustrate Bob's journey to become almost mythical. Here's music journalist Richie Unterberger on Bob Marley's origins. You are no stranger to the music industry and being a music journalist. You've got no less than 16 books from what I counted, and they run the gamut. But you've always seemed to kind of stick with American folk rock. This is a bit of a departure. Can you talk about that? Why the pivot? Sure. The publisher of the book Bob Marley and the Whalers, The Ultimate Illustrated History, actually approached me to do the text for what is a pretty photo and illustration oriented book. But with the numerous books that they've done in this format, they want some text to give a good sort of overview of a major mm-hmm. artist's career. I've also done it in a different book for the same publisher for Fleetwood Mac. Most of my books have been about 60s and 70s rock, ranging from the biggest acts like the Beatles and the Who to cold acts like the Velvet Underground. I have always been interested in reggae music and particularly the early years when reggae evolved from its ska beginnings, then mm-hmm. through rock steady, and then it got an international audience. And no artists were more important in doing that than Bob Marley and the Whalers. And one of the key attractions of doing the book for me was that I have always felt that the first 10 years of their career have been generally overlooked and underrated because they didn't come to global attention until 1973 when they signed to Island Records. They did a lot of really good music before then, but also that music's evolution is itself a really interesting story. The great majority of listeners is pretty unknown. You know, I have to tell you, I do consider myself an audiophile, but I'm I'm not so proud to confess like, you know, real gotcha moments that I've missed. And I don't think I'm the only one in my generation who just assumed with because of the specials 
and Fishbone and the Bostones and Madness that ska came after reggae and that it was, you know, like a a post-reggae sort of thing. But you were very quick to point out that it came first. Can you talk about that music evolution, especially as it came through Jamaica? I kind of think of reggae music as an offshoot of American soul music because there's so much influence. It's much more prominent in ska and reggae's early years. And it's a little bit like how the great British bands who started to emerge with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones took most of their inspiration from American rock and roll, but it couldn't help but come out differently because they were a few thousand miles away and they had different roots and cultural influences. I think it's sort of the same with Jamaican reggae and ska music, Mm -hmm. where in the late 50s and early 60s, these young Jamaicans were very influenced by American early rock and roll and rhythm and blues artists like Fats Domino, a little later Mm -hmm. vocal groups like the Impressions and the Temptations. But because of the rhythms and folk music of Jamaica, where they lived, it couldn't help but come out differently. And it came out as sort of a combination of those factors. First, it came out with ska without really by our standards in the United States, stiff, irregular, really fast beat. But the vocal harmonies aren't too different from soul music. Then when it slowed down into reggae music with that more pronounced reggae rhythm, and it got spiritual and political lyrics infused into the songwriting, it became something distinctly different, even more so than ska had. Mm -hmm. And that was a process, I think, that took a good 10 years or so throughout the 1960s. Yeah. You, um, although the book is definitely focusing on Bob Marley, you gave credit where it was due to all other players in this, uh, Peter Tosh and Jimmy Cliff, Kong Records and, and the like. Was that an epiphany to you that all these other people more or less built him up? Or did, did you know going into it? that uh, all these other players had really influenced it just as much as Bob has, even though he's a superstar. I did know going into writing the book about the background of his many associates. I guess that's part of the reason the publisher wanted me to write the text. But in writing up the history of the evolution, it reinforced my feeling that Peter Tosh and Bunny Livingston, later Bunny Whaler especially, were crucial to Bob Marley and the Whalers' evolution. They weren't incidental side musicians or backup singers, although some might understandably have that impression because even from the first globally distributed Whalers record, Bob Marley was the main focus. But both those guys, Tosh and Livingston, could write and sing really well. And with hindsight, I wish that they had been able to stay together longer after they signed to Island Records and started getting that really wide international audience. Because in a way, like some great rock groups with more than one songwriter, more than one really good songwriter, the Beatles Mm -hmm. are the most outstanding example. Mm -hmm. Those three guys could write in ways that complemented each other, but also were distinctly different from each other. Peter Tosh kind of tougher than Bob Marley's usual stance, Bunny Whaler sort of sweeter. And when they did sign to Ireland, they could have done a double album, I think, 
with more songs that Peter Tosh and Bonnie Whaler wrote and sang. Of course, it's pretty rare that acts do a double album the first time they signed to a label. So I understand why that didn't happen. But yeah. I do feel that their contributions have been underrated. And the book does also catch up with some of their activities after they left Marley, because I think that's important to the story too. You could easily have been writing a book about the origins of reggae, and yet you chose to focus on Bob Marley. Now, that was probably a choice by the publisher, but is it because he's kind of the poster guy for the genre and because it ties in with the serendipitous release of his biopic and an interest in him right now? I do think that was the intention of the publisher. Focus on Bob Marley. Make sure the whalers are in the subtitle because he's the most not just famous reggae musician, he's one of the most famous musicians of all time now. Mm -hmm. His multi-generational appeal mm -hmm. is really astonishing. I'm flattered that you intimate that maybe I should have done an entire sort of study of early reggae music. That was never the intention, I wanna clarify. That would be a different book. And I think there is room for someone, probably not me, to do a really great overview because that whole period, it's still kind of murkily documented before 1973. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to focus on the Whalers because I think they were the most interesting of those formative reggae acts. All three of those guys, as I've said, the Whalers as an entity, not just Bob Marley. And I hope that by telling the essentials of their story, you do get a sense of how reggae itself developed. And maybe subtly, it conveys that it's just an astonishing achievement to me that such a small country, 2 million people or so when the Whalers were growing up, would have such a big influence on global popular music, way beyond the sales of Bob Marley and the Whalers. Reggae itself has spread all around the world, including to some places that you might not associate with having a big following for reggae music. I'll just give you a quick example. Please. I went to Sicily six years ago. And besides songs of the Beatles, songs of Bob Marley were the most likely you would hear when there were buskers like outside restaurants or main thoroughfares playing for change. It's a testify, testimony to his international appeal. And also quickly, I want to note, yes, I think the publisher did want this out when the Bob Marley biopic is about to come out this month actually but it's the second edition so the original edition came out about five or six years ago and they wanted an updated edition with a little more at the end about the upcoming movie which as if he needed any help should heighten interest even more in bob marley's life i haven't seen the movie by the way i know about as much or little about it as anyone from the public i've I did see a commercial for it when a national NBA game was being broadcast a few days ago. So it's obviously going to get a lot of publicity. Oh, God, it's everywhere. I, I'll sit at the stoplight and here comes Bob Marley on a bus everywhere oh. I go. It's like the universe is saying, watch this movie, either them or the studio. It's just um, everywhere, it seems right now. And of course, Bob Marley Day is February the 6th, which is right around the corner for us, too. So the timing is serendipitous. But I think I think I'm opining for just a second and I want your thoughts on this. When Rastafarianism came into his life when he more or less kind of, I don't know if he gave up Christianity so much as he opened himself up to this new ideology. 
Uh, and, and that clearly became his message about oppression and, and saving people and freedom and all that, all that. That's a universal uh, message, in, in my opinion, for everyone. But is that, in your opinion, uh, why that sound, and those songs resonate to new generations? Is it the same idea that we're all seeking? I think that his resonance, more than 40 years after his death, it's not so much specifically Rastafarianism that's responsible, although that was a big influence on Bob Marley. I think that it's the messages in his songs, speaking up for the underprivileged, but also celebrating the diversity of our culture. That is what's mostly responsible for the universal and still building popularity of Bob Marley's music, if that makes sense. It's a big reason why I came into his music, but it can those elements of his meshes can be appreciated by everybody. And I think also a big part of his universal appeal is a lot of really good artists want to reflect social conditions and have similar goals to Bob Marley's message. Mm -hmm. But Marley was very good at distilling the essences of those messages into lyrics which are very powerful but also easily understood even by a lot of people whose first language isn't English or they don't know English much at all. Do you see other groups, other reggae groups that are not named Marley taking that baton and going forward? You've been in this um, reggae space for years and years um, and you're entrenched and and you do such deep research. I, I totally commend you for how deep you go on these things. What have you found about the next iteration of reggae and Bob's influence on today's artist? I think it's really hard to match Marley's impact both musically and sort of socio-politically. Even at the time he and the Whalers were at their peak, there were other reggae artists, including the other ex-Whalers, who were making great inroads into the global audience for popular music. Toots and the Maytals might have been the most successful of mm -hmm. those. Mm -hmm. Peter Tosh, as a solo artist, was also pretty successful in doing that. But it seems like over time, some other reggae writers might disagree with this. Nobody has really come close to matching not just his influence, but also his achievements in sort of bringing together the most distinctive elements of reggae music and having it affect such a wide audience. Maybe the closest has been Ziggy Marley because he has the name that's identified with Bob Marley's legacy. And also his music is both similar to his dad's, but also different enough where it doesn't seem like this is a offspring who's just always going to be in his father or his mother's shadow. Mm -hmm. This might not be answering your question, but just to go on a tangent a little bit, if Marley had lived, I'm sometimes asked about that. That was my died. next question. Oh, that sorry. was the next question. Where would he have gone? Yeah. So that will be a good lead in, I guess. He was pretty young when he died. I think that he might have started combining the reggae music he'd mastered with some other forms of music that he hadn't gone into so much. I think a good example of that is one of his final outstanding compositions and recordings, Redemption Song. If you didn't know anything about reggae and you heard that, you might not think it's reggae music. You might think it's a folk song 
or you might think it's what we call in the United States singer-songwriters like a Joni Mitchell or somebody like that. Also in the 80s, world, what we call world music here, especially from Africa, was gaining a lot more in international popularity, performers like Fela and King Sonny Ade. I think Marley might have picked up on that. I would predict he would have gone back to Africa to perform a lot more. He did just a little bit before he died because he was and is so popular there. And I could see him taking some inspiration from that music and not ever abandoning reggae music, but sort of making more of a world fusion music. I think to get back to your previous question, if a Jamaican or reggae musician wanted to have an impact that Marley did that was similar, maybe the route to go isn't so much trying to replicate what Marley did, but taking some of the most affecting parts of Marley's sound and blending it with different sounds from other places besides Jamaica and more contemporary trends. What that would be like every major new movement that comes along, I think it's impossible to predict. Going back to before rock and roll, who could predict, predicted Louis Armstrong or somebody like that, and then Elvis Presley and the Beatles and um, Prince. The line goes on for a long time. So if anyone, however, listening is thinking, well, I want to do music, how would I go about doing something like that? It's something at least to consider, I think. I learned several things in this book. For example, the, the Scott came before reggae. I really didn't know that. And um, and also the Bob Marley's father was white. That threw me off, too. He never did speak about him. So, I mean, it, it goes to it, it makes sense that the average person wouldn't know that. Um, why would you? But but what did you learn in all of your discoveries and research about Marley? What did you learn? Not so much about the last eight years or so of his life, when he was in the public eye a lot. And even before I became a writer. As a teenager, this is going back to the late 70s, reading about Marley and reggae. A lot of that stuff was generally in the air, general information. I have a blog where I did a three-part series, Marley Mysteries. And although I knew a little bit about this, here's something that really came home to me. Marley and the Whalers were big stars in Jamaica before 1973. Going back to 1964 with their first big hit record, Simmer Down, mm -hmm. being a big star in Jamaica didn't mean you had a comfortable life. Sometimes they were making five pounds a week. A pound meant a lot more then, but still, that's not much. Mm -hmm. Bob Marley was like sleeping on the tables of the studio where he worked. He had a hard time even supporting his family. Can you imagine, say... Curtis Mayfield, who was one of his biggest inspiration. He had really huge American hit records with the Impressions. Can you imagine him taking a job in a factory because it paid more? Of course not. Mm -mm. Doesn't mean there wasn't a lot of discrimination against African-American stars back then, and unfortunately, sometimes today. But standards of living were much different in Jamaica than in the United States or even the United Kingdom. I think that was part of the reason he was so fired to bring the message to an international audience. Because in Jamaica, the music could mean a lot to the people there, but he knew he had so much to offer, and also that reggae music had so much to offer. And it's still sort of, if you're asking about things I didn't know so much about, 
it's still not entirely clear why he went back and forth from Jamaica to the United States on a few occasions because his mother was living in uh, Delaware. She had, married, mm -hmm. she had married an American guy. What the purpose was, could he make that much money, more money, like some accounts have it working at factories, working, bussing tables or sweeping floors in Delaware than he could as a recording star in Jamaica? That does seem to be the case. And it's a testament to his entrepreneurial spirit that a big reason was he wanted to bring money back to start his own record label with the other whalers. Mm -hmm. Something else, just to continue a bit with your question, I didn't realize so much. The whalers were sort of a fluid group. It wasn't always just those three guys. They had a couple woman singers in the band really early on. They had some other singers in the group. They had a rotating cast of backup musicians that were pretty important. And some of the Whalers records, you don't hear one or two of the guys. They just weren't there. Bunny Whaler was in prison for a while in the late 60s. When Marley went to the U.S. for the first time for eight months in 66, they kept on recording without him and did some really good ska and early Rocksteady records. That's part of the reason I wanted my text to emphasize Bob Marley is the most important guy in the Whalers, but it was a real group. And to gain a real appreciation of the scope of their achievements, you should also recognize how important Tosh and Livingston were and also hear some of their solo work, which is impressive in its own right. I will go digging for some. Can you, I'm, as this plays on the radio and as a podcast, I very much believe in artist rights, so I will not play the song. But on our radio broadcast of this, we have a license and I will play a song. What would you say is an, an underrated, not Marley song from, from that era, late 60s or so? For a Whalers record that Peter Tosh is the singer, I think Steppin' Razor is a really good rock steady record. Rock steady being sort of the transition between ska and what we know of as reggae. Music And although he didn't write it, it reflects his sort of don't mess with me persona really well. It was actually written by a guy who's important in the Whaler story, Joe Higgs. He's also yes. Yes. a noted reggae artist, but he, at least he's taken a lot of credit for helping teach the Whalers how to harmonize and how to sing together. For Bunny Whaler, this is going back even a little more to 1966. One of the original Whaler's biggest hit singles in Jamaica was Dancing Shoes. It's a great ska dance song. They recorded it without Bob Marley and Bunny Whaler sings lead on it. It's a great example, not just of the seeds of the Whaler sound, but the seeds of reggae sound. It's one of the ska sounds I would most recommend. If you want to get an idea of what reggae sounded like before it slowed down and had that pronounced reggae uh, rhythm. Hear a really good ska tune, hear that one. For Peter Tosh himself, this is not obscure, but legalize it. I still remember from the late 70s, listening to FM radio in high school. That is definitely his most popular song he did after the Whalers. And although he doesn't specify the substance, everybody knew, I can tell you, everybody knew in high school, <laughs> What's he asking for legalization of? It's not lowering the voting age. It's something that's more controversial. But, but it's, it's, it's done in a way that's not preachy. And it can also apply. It probably 
never has been so much. It can also apply to, well, there's a bunch of things that maybe should be legalized or at least loosened that are unfairly sort of administered by our or anybody's legal system. And that does that, if that was the mission of Tosh and the Song, it does it pretty well. It, it does indeed. You got me laughing here and threw me off course. Um, I did want to ask you about Joe Higgs a little bit because he was kind of the Barry Gordy, right? Of 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 their uh, of their time when they were teenagers. And the other thing that just blew me away, tell me if I'm wrong here. If I'm doing the math right, Bob was 14 when he went into the studio. Is that right? No, he was 16. 16. Okay. And yeah. then Jimmy Cliff produced him and he was a teenager as well, right? Jimmy Cliff was also really young, but that wasn't uncommon in those days for there to be very young reggae singers. The first international ska hit, although it wasn't called ska then because it sounded so different, was by a singer named Millie Small, mm -hmm. My Boy Lollipop in 1964. And she was still a teenager. She had been sort of encouraged to record for the international market by Chris Blackwell, who signed the Whalers 10 years later or so to Island Records. Mm -hmm. And she was, the accounts of her age differ a little, but she was only about 16 when he started working with her. I think one motivation for artists of such a young age to start recording in the early to mid 60s in Jamaica for especially um, people of color, there just wasn't much opportunity if you've grown up in modest circumstances to make your way up the economic ladder. And tons of artists really tried. Not too many got to even Millie Small's level, let alone the Whaler's level. But it was a huge incentive to break out of this sort of economic and social straitjacket that a uh, great majority of Jamaicans were in just by virtue of how they'd been born, where they'd been born into. It would take another 10 years or so for reggae to be played regularly on FM radio. It was hardly played on AM radio when I was mm -hmm. growing up anyway. But that was sort of the beginnings of it to start to spread beyond Jamaica and become heard outside of that country. amazing okay well let me show this book one more time it is absolutely beautiful this is definitely one that you want to display i'm displaying this on my shelf and there are lots of books on that shelf but this one's going to stand out for sure anything i didn't ask you that you would like to get out there one of the quotes i found in the book which i like to cite the most when i talk about bob's death I wanted to not just quote some other celebrities and what they said, but just regular fans who weren't famous at all, because he meant so much to people all around the world by the early 80s when he died. And one fan said at the time, 
as an orator, he wasn't much. And if you listen to Bob Marley interviews, in part because the, ac the accent is unfamiliar to people outside of Jamaica, they could be hard to follow. But the same fan said, but his music said it all. And you get a lot more, I think, from Marley's music from his interviews, although I went through a lot of those. They can be kind of rambling. And if they're actually taped, they are hard for us in the United States to understand some of the words. But that wasn't so important because his music distilled the message in ways that were so easy to grasp all around the world. And it's sometimes overlooked, understandably, I think. He did a lot of protest songs or songs which reflected tough situations like I Shot the Sheriff. But he did about an equal number of really good love songs and celebratory songs just about feeling good, jamming. And I think that's a big part of the reason his music endures, not just 40 odd years after his left, it's going to endure forever. That's fantastic. Richie Enterberger, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. February the 6th, 2024, better known as Bob Marley Day, lands on what would have been the man's 79th birthday. Bob Marley and the Whalers, The Ultimate Illustrated History is a beautiful book you'll want to display today if you're a fan of reggae. It's available now on Quarto Books. We'll be sure to link to it on our website, textprosrockandroll.com. That's going to do it for me today. I'm Chris Kosach. I'm leaving you with one of my favorites that was referenced a little bit earlier. Here's Redemption Song. We'll see you next time. We are KLBP, Long Beach Public Radio. Old pirates, yes, they rob I, sold I to the merchant ships. Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our minds Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption songs 
emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our mind Oh, have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop at the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Yes, some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Is all I ever had Redemption songs All I ever had Redemption songs These songs of freedom Songs of freedom <laughs> 